Welcome to the It Is Written podcast. As doubts about God's will arise, the world resorts to feelings and experts. We go to the law and to the testimony of God's word. In today's episode, we're going to take a look at a question about culture. Should the culture of the people in the Bible impact the way we interpret and follow the Bible today in our culture? Over 40 years ago, when I was at a uh, liberal Protestant college, there were some opportunities to teach people the gospel. And as I did that, there were questions about women's role in churches and Mm -hmm. things like that. And some of the kids that were listening to what I was teaching would go back to the theology and religion professors and see what they said about it. And what they said was, oh, those statements by Paul were culturally bound statements. They don't have any relevance for us today because we live in a different culture. That argument, that idea, has been become much more popular in recent years. And people have argued that we've got to know first century culture to understand what the Bible's saying. They've argued that it cannot apply outside of its culture. And really, I think the question becomes, is God able to give us timeless teaching? Is he able to give us teaching that applies in any place and any time period? In Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus' words were solid. They were constant. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. An enduring word, a timeless word, because it partakes of the nature of God. God knows everything. He knows the future as well as the past. God is able to provide us with teaching that is timeless. Teaching that in one book, in one period of time, is applicable for all times. Psalm 119 is a tremendous psalm. It talks about the word of God in nearly every verse. And in Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth, and it stands. They stand this day according to your ordinances for all things are your servants. God's words, God's ordinances are fixed, they're settled, they're established, and they stand. God is able to give us teaching that's timeless. We know that. Think about how many Bible stories there are that we can relate to. We can say, oh yeah, I can see myself in that. I can see other people in that. I can see current situations in that. Think about books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes that give so many teachings of wisdom. You think, how did God know I'd need this today? Right. You know, because men don't change. The technology may be different, but people's natures are the same. And so you see in the, the things that the Bible teaches that they connect, that they're relevant to our day. Jesus' teaching is so relevant. It's so applicable to everything that we deal with. So it's clear, even as we study the Bible, that God's word applies to us. It applies transculturally. Man's philosophies change, but God's teaching does not change. Now, there's a lot of effort that's being made to try to discredit the Bible on the basis that, well, this is a culturally bound statement, just like they were saying at that college. And they want to throw out a bunch of stuff that's in the Bible. And, and I want to talk about a couple of the arguments that are sometimes made. One thing that's sometimes said is, well, the Bible has to be translated. 
We can't know the Bible. It was written in Hebrew and in Greek. Right. We don't know Hebrew and Greek. Well, translation is a fact of life. Business documents, contracts, treaties are translated. There's major negotiations between world superpowers on the basis of translators. Translation is not a big deal. It's, it's, if you know both languages, you can translate. Mm -hmm. I teach a lot in Portuguese. I have no problem teaching the very same things in Portuguese that I teach in English with Portuguese Bibles that say the very same thing that the English Bibles do. I don't ever get to a verse and think, whoa, I don't recognize that one. I wonder where that came from. Sure. Saying the same thing it does in English. So translation is not an issue. God enabled people to have the ability to translate, and they do. So, so that's not a problem. Look at 1 Timothy 2. Let me show you another passage mm -hmm. that is sometimes looked at in connection with this. Would you read verses 8 to 15? Sure. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing, with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess to worship God. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission, I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. This is precisely the type of passage that people argue this is for their culture. In their culture, women were not educated, or women were not seen as relevant, or they were not people that others would respect, and therefore you have these statements. Well, look at some of the things that Paul says. He says in verse 8, Therefore I want the man in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Paul did not consider this as a teaching just for one location. Everywhere that teaching should be given. And the same thing with the teaching for women, as he tells women to dress in, in a way not to draw attention to themselves, but to adorn themselves with good works, and to be quiet and receive instruction with submissiveness, he gives reasons for why he says that. His reasons aren't, well, because women are uneducated in your society. That wouldn't be appropriate. Sure. Or he doesn't say, well, you know, people just don't respect women in your culture. The reasons he gives in verse 13, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. The order of creation does not vary from culture to culture, right. from era to era. Right. God created Adam first and then Eve, mm -hmm. and Paul understood that to be establishing a principle that God wanted men to take leadership roles in, in our relationships. And then in verse 14, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And what he shows there is the situation in Genesis 3 when Eve took the lead. When she, when she stepped out and she made the decision and Adam followed her, that resulted in disaster. Eve was deceived. She really thought that the fruit would be good for her. Adam knew better and did it anyway. Right. But God shows, Paul shows here, that women are not designed for the leadership role. God wants men to do that. And that's based on the creation and the fall. But even more than just looking at passages like this, I want us to think about the things that the Bible teaches. God's word is not culturally uh, acceptable. How many times did the prophets 
preached things that were totally anti-cultural. They were not what the people in their day were saying. Did Jesus teach what was culturally uh, accepted, approved? Jesus taught things that were totally against the scribes and the Pharisees and the other leading peoples of his day. Paul got run out of town after town, not because he preached what their culture said, but he preached against their culture. That was the world. He preached for us to be holy and be like God. So Jesus and, and the other New Testament writers were absolutely countercultural. This idea that we need to pass the Bible through the sieve of culture and try to see it as something that's only applicable in certain cultures or we have to modify it to fit our culture is just not true. Mm-hmm. So I guess when I've had conversations with people about this text, one of the things that does jump out to them is sometimes when we're teaching on this text, we'll look at what's mentioned in verse 9 about the modest clothing, but more specifically, the elaborate hairstyles, the gold, the pearls, and the expensive apparel. And they'll say, well, that was obviously cultural because it would be for us different sources of things that we could be immodest with. And so they would say, based off of that interpretation, then you should be able to do that with verse 11 and 12 on women teaching in front of men. How how would you respond to that? People sometimes misunderstand 9 and 10. His point is that the way a woman should try to look beautiful is not by what she wears, what she does with her hair, what she does with her jewelry or whatever, but by good works. And that's timeless. He's not trying to institute a particular dress style in this at all. He's saying, don't draw attention to yourself with your clothing or with your style. Draw attention to yourself with good works that is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Sometimes people do hijack verses and misapply them. But understood correctly, this is not mandating any particular style of clothing. It's mandating good works for women. Very well said. One other thing I think it's important to address in a topic especially like this when it comes to women speaking in churches and and that kind of thing. Would you, Gary, just kind of speak to the difference in roles and understanding that there's different roles between the genders? Yeah, God does that here. He wants men to take leadership roles. He wants the women to take nurturing roles at home. He wants her to be bearing children and and continuing faithful to the Lord. But a woman's got more of a maternal responsibility and the man needs to take leadership. This is not saying that women can't teach anything or talk about anything or or ever give a helpful contribution. This is saying that her general role should be a submissive, quieter demeanor and men are to take the lead. And it's not a matter of one being more important than the other, it's submitting to the role God has given. Exactly. The, the woman's role that he gives here and in so many other passages, Proverbs 31, is a powerful role. In Proverbs 31, it's a woman that illustrates godly wisdom, not a man. And so there's nothing demeaning about women, it's just that God has specific roles that each of them are better suited for. So we shouldn't let culture dictate how we interpret the Bible, we should just let it speak for itself. Amen. Thank you for listening to the It Is Written podcast. If you have any questions or comments that you would like to share with us, feel free to send Gary an email at garyfisher1063 at gmail.com. We hope you have a blessed day.